Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you? Um, I'm doing very well. We were just talking a little bit uh, off air about the weather. Um, I'm, I'm not going to complain too much because I'm down here in Florida and it's a little bit warmer than where you are, I know, Cindy. But we were talking also about Texas. Uh, a lot of areas in Texas, no power. I mean, what's this world coming to, Cindy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I'm glad I'm in Buffalo because we're used to snow and cold. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 been it's been interesting the last uh couple of days and it's going to be colder again for a few more days, but uh we'll we'll grin and bear it and and I'm I'm feeling extra blessed cuz I know what it's like up your neck of the woods, so uh I'll I'll take whatever I can down here. All right, we got a great show for you this morning. We're going to be starting off of course with another great discussion in the no BS zone. Um and uh and then a little bit later on we're going to be joined by our very special guest Wes Whittingham. Uh, Vice President of Sales for Volvic USA. He'll be joining us on the second half. And, um, you know, it's always interesting, you know, Cindy, as we get ready for a new season, who knows what's, you know, what the season is going to hold this year. Obviously, we know last year was a little bit chaotic at times. um, But we're excited here in in the coming weeks. We're going to be interviewing uh, once again as their season gears up. uh, I believe early next month, the (coughs) Symmetra Tour will be gearing up uh, for some of their first events, so of course we'll uh, bring the winners on as they come uh, come up. But um, we're looking forward to that, and uh, a lot of great guests this season. So we're really looking forward to having some interesting shows. And uh, so, Cindy, let's start off with this one here um, as we enter into the no BS zone. And the topic I picked, and I got to confess, I did not come up with this. I actually got this um, well, sort of navigating around online over the weekend. And it's uh, we're going to call this how to prepare for the first round of the year. Last week, or last week, yes, we you know talked about a new you in 2021, getting ready and, and that sort of thing. Um, but this week, we're going to talk about getting ready for for some of you, especially up in the Northeast, that are not quite ready to play <laughs> golf yet. Got a little bit longer. Um, it's uh, always good to prepare uh, for that first round because sometimes it's it's always not so good. So uh, I got this from uh, a website. Uh, called the golfacademy.org. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Sully, I don't know have his last name, uh, put this together. I thought it was really, really interesting, Sydney. I thought we could talk a little bit about it. And this is something that he suggested that uh, the folks do to, to get you know, sort of ready for that first round. 
uh, and, and obviously uh, carried out throughout the season. So what he's suggesting is to set up categories for all of the different parts of your game and assign them either a good, an okay, or a poor rating. So give them a rating, if you will, one of the three, and you can do a combination of both, and you'll understand as we go along. Um, so while you're you know, evaluating your game is certainly nothing new, setting up in a table or creating different categories to organize your information uh, from the route is something that a lot of people haven't tried before. Uh, you know, we, many people keep stats and how many putts and that sort of thing. But to actually give it a rating, to give it an idea, is, you know, is, it a good, uh, is that a good part of your game? Is it not so good? Is it poor? What have you? Um, so this is something that you can do, and you can do it through all the years. So setting it up initially might take a few extra minutes, but it's well worth it. And one of the first things he did, and I'm going to go through some of the stats that he uh, put up for himself uh, as a guy, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. And Cindy, the first one he did, of course, was putting, and he assigned it a poor rating. Uh, you know, so while you didn't do anything horribly wrong with your putting, he suggests distance control was very inconsistent along uh, with some of the reads that you were making. Uh, definitely an area that needs practice. Um, first off, give me your overview, your thoughts of what this gentleman is doing here with this um, sort of uh, setting up the categories, if you will, what your thoughts there, and uh, and maybe some you can touch on a little bit about putting. Um, you know, if somebody's rated themselves poor in putting, what would be some, some things that you might suggest to do uh, to work on it? So what he's talking about is after you've played your first round and now you're rating yourself, just so I understand. Yeah, I mean, you could go back into the previous or season if you wanted, I guess. The, well, right, no, yeah, you're getting ready. getting ready for the round. Or have you played a round? Yeah. Well, he, he, his title is actually how to... Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think you could do it either way, but let's say uh, how to prepare for the first round of the year. So I think what he's suggesting here is that you kind of gauge it on previous, maybe the previous season initially, uh, how you would rate various parts of your game, and then you sort of take it forward from there after your first round. Uh, but we could do it either way here. I would say let's for this, let's kind of, even though the title is how to prepare for the first round of the year, I think we'll take it from having played your first round this year. How's that? And that might simplify the process. So what do you think about that? First off, what he's suggesting here, as opposed to just keeping stats and, and that he's actually assigning a rating to the various parts of his game. I, I absolutely, I agree. So again, when someone comes in for a lesson, um, I say, what do you want to work on? Well, I got to hit my driver farther. What do you shoot? 102. Well, maybe you don't have right. to hit your driver further, right? So if you'd be happy breaking 95, we can easily find seven shots out of the 102 to shoot 95 or 94, right? So mm -hmm. I, I would like to take this from the point of you haven't played yet because I'm in Buffalo. Okay. And sure. no one's played yet unless they've gone somewhere else. Well, I shouldn't say that. Somebody did play at the end of December, but since then, no way, because there's feet of snow on the ground. But let's say putting, if you were poor in your putting last season and you're reflecting on your game now, what I suggest you do is do some distance control drills. And mm -hmm. we've mentioned this before, but you put your feet shoulder-width apart on a putting green or on a rug in the house. 
and Mm -hmm. you make the width of your stroke be the width of your feet. And you make sure that your tempo is really good, like Mm -hmm. you hit three or four putts, and all putts should go the same distance. So you're Mm -hmm. trying to gauge the effort of your swing without giving any distinctive hit. And it's just the pace of the arm swing back and forth with the putter head to give you a more consistent pace, if you will. And when mm-hmm. you do that and your feet are shoulder width apart and you go, then you walk the balls off. So where they're all congregated together, you walk that distance off. And that would be your key for the day for the speed of the green. And typically it's four, five, or six. So that means giant steps. I I say walk yards, right? So pretend your key for the day is five steps. You take feet shoulder width apart. The width of your stroke is the width of your feet. You go three, four times, and all the balls go the same distance. Then you walk that distance off to calculate how far it went. And it went five steps, which is 15 feet. So anytime you have a 15-footer, you're going to keep your feet shoulder width apart, and the width of your stroke is you know, the width of your feet, and it's going to go 15 feet. Now, if you have a putt that's 25 feet, you don't hit it harder. You take a bigger stroke. That's the biggest difference. Right. Yeah, and that's a great point because uh, a lot of people think, well, I've got to, you know, I've got to smash this to get that extra 10 feet. But really, it's not. It's just a matter of you want to keep the same tempo. You're just taking a slightly further uh, length of stroke, and, and that's something that's important as well. Great, great points. And I think, uh, again, most people, I think for the most part, don't really have a problem aiming their putts. It's their distance control. It's they just don't know how far they're hitting their putts. Um, they don't really – I always say let's set a benchmark doing exactly what you're talking about. Let's create a benchmark so that we know that if I take the, the putter back within the, you know, the, the distance between my two feet and I know that it's going to go 15 feet, that gives me a benchmark to work with. So if I know if, if I take it a little further back – uh, and further through, I know it's going to go a little further. If I take it a little shorter, you know, and, and shorter through, then it's going to be less than that. So it gives me an idea. It gives me a number to work with, and I think that's a great point. All right, let's move on to chipping. This is something, another area. Now, he's assigned this in his particular case as okay. So in his explanation, I'm going to read that out just so we have, you know, something to work with. Um, at the start of the round, chipping was horrendous. Uh, you might be, maybe you've been chunking the balls, and none of your shots seem to uh, set you up in a position to score. As you continued through the round, uh, a few chips on the back nine, as an example, were really spectacular and led to easy pars. So here it's just a consistency problem mainly, but the basics are still there. So again, this is another, his his chipping is okay, um, but again, uh, it goes back to that inconsistency issue as well. Your thoughts here? Again, I would, if you're not very good at chipping, what I would do is I would just try to chip with one club and one type swing and I would try to make it really consistent with the effort that you give so that it's a little more um, predictable, if you will, that you're able to figure out how far it's going to roll. I mean, that's my thought. Again, it's so hard. The hardest part of learning to play when you haven't played all year you can hit the ball, but it's your short game because you lose all feel. So that's what you need to work on. Yeah, I would I would put something right. in the, 
living room and practice chipping a marshmallow into a pail and see how far it yep. flies. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and that's a great again a great point because a lot of people uh you know, I mean, I can remember earlier on, you know, coming out the first round or so of the year and I could hit a pretty decent ball. You know, I I didn't forget how to hit the ball, but my short game was what what really suffered is because, you know, when I lived up in the northeast as you do, um you know, there were a lot of times, you know, I couldn't get out and we didn't have as many indoor facilities as we have available now, like like uh, the dome, which uh, you have available and so forth. So there wasn't really a lot of options. You either went south or you just, you know, hunkered down and watched football or something else. And, you know, or in my case, played some hockey and whatnot. And you didn't pick up the clubs until, uh, you know, till early spring. So a lot of times your feel kind of goes by the wayside. So that's a great point as well. You know, find a way of working on those areas. And I really like what he's set out here. Uh, you know, as we continue on, you'll, you'll understand, because I think it's a great idea actually assigning a category as opposed to just taking stats, which, you know, to some people don't really mean a lot. This actually assigns a category of areas. And, and if you're honest in your assessment, uh, which appears that he's doing here, then you're going to know exactly where the problem areas are, what parts of the game. So the next one he talks about here is irons and, of course, the driver. Now, as I mentioned here, the categories, there were three categories, but he's sort of, this one he's blended together with two of them. So he's assigned an okay to good. So as he explains here, your long game started out incredibly well. Uh, you made the first five greens in regulation, and if your putting had to come through, as he talked about his putting was poor, uh, you would have been well on your way to scoring a uh, you know, pretty decent round. Uh, as the round wore on, though, there were a few shots that came off thin and a few that ended up uh, pulling into the first few cuts of rough. Well, that's not necessarily a, a, a good thing. It's nothing a few buckets at the range can't iron out. So, you know, he's talking about here the long game, uh, you know, where, again, that sort of common theme, inconsistency. Um, you know, you, you started out playing pretty decent, but then as the uh, the the round wore on, suddenly your consistency went away. And I think in a case like this, if I was to, you know, assess this, I would say that it's not so much an ability problem here as a stamina problem. What do you think? It could be. I mean, again, if you if you haven't worked out and done anything all winter and sat on your butt, yeah. But if you've worked out and walked or done something physical, I don't know that it's a stamina problem. I think it's a try problem. Most people just try too mm. hard. I mean, we went to boot camp a couple of weeks ago, and the first round we just went on the par three course, and I said, we just need to get the bugs out. And, again, you know, they're chunking it and topping it, and I'm like, okay, that's just because you haven't done this in a while and you haven't hit off grass. You've been hitting on a mat. And then by the time we left, mm. everybody was way better. So it's just getting the bugs out typically. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, yeah, I think that's so true. And, and again, you know, it, it's always going to take time. You can't, you know, define your entire season uh, necessarily by the first round of the year. Uh, but it just gives you an idea to sort of uh, assess things as to where you're at. You know, sort of, again, to sort of set those benchmarks. You know, where's my my putting? Where's my chipping? You know, how's my long game? Give it a rating. Um, so that way, then, when you're working with your pro, you can take him and say, okay, this is how I played my first round. You know, you know forget about just the number of putts you made or, uh, you know, greens and regulation, that's good. Uh, you might have got on the green, but you might have hit some crappy shots. Uh, or you might have, 
you know, putt it out, but it might have been a lucky, you know, putt. It may not have been your technique and so forth. So this kind of gives you an overall idea. The next one that he talks about here is decision-making. Uh, he assigns good here. He says, you focused a lot on making sure your mental game was on point today, <clears throat> excuse me, and it paid off. Looking back, uh, back excuse me, at the round, all of your decisions were well-informed when it came to the type of shot to hit or, <clears throat> pardon me, or different club selections, and this was a big part of, you know, the success in the day. So all in all, uh, a good day for, for mental game. So, you know, even though he's talking about in some of the earlier points, uh, you know, some were okay, some were good, uh, some were poor, he's giving himself a good mark on his mental decision-making because he's, he's still confident. Even though he didn't pull off all the shots he wanted, Cindy, he talks about how uh, he was able to make informed decisions based on the information gathered and was able to execute the shots that he wanted to. Whether they got pulled off or not is a different story. Um, what do you think? Uh, well, I think that's you know good for him for being honest about that, and it's so important that you pay attention. What's my smartest play from this location, if you will, right? What should I do from yep. here? Is this a smart move or a stupid move? And I get you know that's like. You have to do that. If you don't do that, you're just really hurting yourself. So good for him. Yeah, and I, and I think, too, just to, to touch on it just a little bit more is, you know, you have to feel confident in your decisions. Even if it ends up being the wrong decision, it's still good that you made the decision. You know, how many times we've seen players go in there and <clears throat> they'll be faced with a shot, maybe it's hundred and you know, 58 yards, they hit their seven iron, 155, you know, and they hit their six iron, 162 or something. And it's sort of in between and they're not sure what to do. So they're, you know, they're hesitating between which club to pull. Do I hit a little, uh, an easier six iron or do I step up on my, my seven iron to get that extra distance? Um, and they can't really make a good decision. Um, even if you make the wrong decision, even if ultimately you pick the, the wrong club, the fact that you were able to assess the situation and you made a decision, then you can go back and say, okay, you know, it wasn't the right decision, but I was still comfortable at the time with the choice I made. And I think that's extremely important. And it flows into the next one, which he talks about here, is emotional consistency, which he also rates as good. Um, so as you've grown up, uh, this has been something, you know, you've always had to work on. It's always easy to, you know, lose temper as a kid. We can all remember that and let your round snowball out of control. Uh, maybe age and maturity are finally starting to help, but today, you know, you started on a pretty optimal mental state. Uh, it, you know, it was never too high after a good shot, never too low after a bad one. So emotional consistency is also uh, something as well. Touch on a little bit, you mentioned your boot camp, you know, with some of the kids. You know, you, you mentioned in the beginning, you know, things, uh, they weren't hitting so good and they weren't doing so well in the beginning, uh, because they hadn't been out for a little while. Um, but how was their emotional consistency? Were they emotionally, you know, kind of on an even keel, or did you find some of them were a little bit, you know, down on themselves, and others were maybe kind of high up on themselves? What, what was your, what was your experience this this boot camp? Well, we had both kids and adults, and um, the kids got a little down on themselves, and the adults were like, oh, you know, like frustration. I'm like, okay, what did you do there? How could you do that better? What club did you choose? Um, the woman that was with us never picked the club that would get over the bunkers that would reach the green. 
I'm like, what are you doing? That you know, let's take a club mm-hmm. that'll get there. Just because it's a par three, don't use something besides driver. If you need driver, hit driver. So again, it's decision making and it's emotional control. All patience. So I think it's managing your expectations and understanding your talent level and then making good decisions and then understanding that you're going to miss shots so that will help the emotional control and the expectation level. You know, just my opinion. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's I think that's very sound. You know, um the final one here is is one that I think is extremely important. It might seem very simple and some people might take this as a given, but you'd be surprised at how many people that I've spoken to over the years that do not mark themselves very high in this category, and that is fun. Um, in this case, he marks it as good. Again, another good. Uh, you know, why come out if you're not going to have a good time? You'd be surprised. Um, you know, and this goes to the to the earlier two here, the emotional and the decision making, um, whether or not you're having fun. If you're not confident in the decisions that you're making, then your emotional side of things also gets affected. If you're not confident in what you're doing out on the golf course then that part of your game is definitely going to suffer in addition to the other components that we talked about. And ultimately, it's, it's going to affect your overall fun. Um, and if you're not out there enjoying, this is why so many, you know, uh, in all honesty, this is why it's not just physical ailments. Obviously, there's issues there too. But this is why some of our older golfers sometimes give up. You know, they're, they're having troubles breaking 100 so they're not enjoying it. You know, once they shot a, you know, a 78 and they think that that's what they're going to shoot the rest of their life, and it's just not the case. Um, you know, as we get older, we lose muscle mass. You know, we're not going to hit it as far, and I don't care what club you put in your hand. You might get a few extra yards here and there, but the bottom line is your body changes, and you have to adapt accordingly, and you have to be willing to accept that. Um, but fun is a big component. Am I right? You are correct. You have to have fun, or why are you doing this? You know, again, I embrace, that goes back to why are you playing? And I like the personal challenge. I mean, golf is the one game where you can be, you know, really old in your 90s, maybe even 100, and you can pretend you're playing in the U.S. Open, and nobody cares. Yep. Right? Right. And so, yeah. and or you could be three or four years old. So you've got a hundred years that you can challenge yourself and and make up a game in your head. You know, today I'm going to see how many times I can uh, hit the green regulation. I'm going to see how many fairways I can hit. I'm going to try to putt and have less than 18 putts. I might try to miss a green so I can get it up and down. You know, I, yeah. aim at the bunkers and see how good you are. You can play all kinds of games with yourself. And challenge yourself. So who cares? And again, um, to the parents out there who have junior golfers that are pretty good, allow them to have fun and stop putting a gun to their head for them to perform. Because if they're not having fun, they're afraid to swing. And then you're going to yell at them and then you're going to ruin your relationship. Well, and and also more than likely that child is going to drop out they're going to give it up, um, you know, because it's just human nature. You know, children want their parents' approval. As we grow up, you know, we want our parents to accept what we do. And when they're heavy-handed and, you know, 
to the point where we can't enjoy what we're doing any longer, then the fun, you know, kind of gets zapped out. Just to go to your point, though, really quick about the U.S. Open, and, and I, I'll throw the Masters in there. I've won more times than you could imagine the U.S. Open and the Masters. I've beaten them all. So I've got to build a bigger trophy case now because I don't know where to put them all. But um, <laughs> only kidding. <laughs> you know, I've done the same thing. I, I, I can remember my friends and I, you know, when I was younger, um, you know, we would play. And, and uh, you know, it might be, um, you know, a, a hole with a little bridge. And we'd pretend it was number 12 at the Augusta National. And, you know, we would try all different types of shots. Um, you know, you know, fade, draw, whatever. But and there were even some of us that would try to ricochet it off the little bridge and get, you know, see how many bounces, one bounce, two bounce before we got it onto the green. And, you know, we would do things like that. And and same thing with the bunker. We would say, OK, let's let's all aim for the bunker and then see who's really good, you know, hitting bunker shots. So we would do things like you're suggesting. And it's actually makes it a little bit of, uh, you know, adds a little bit extra fun to it. Now, obviously, you have to be cognizant if you're, you know, if it's, the course is busy and you've got people behind us. But a lot of times we would go later in the day and maybe we would just play nine holes. And we would do things like that. We would imagine, you know, especially when I was really young, we would imagine, you know, we're playing against Nicholas and Palmer and all these, you know, in the, in the U.S. Open. And, or we would assign ourselves, you know, I, I might be Palmer and somebody else might be Nicholas. And, you know, we would do that. And, and it was fun. As a kid, it was fun because, you know, we would grow up and we'd play, you know, create different scenarios. And, uh, you know, so number one, I think, is you've got to have fun. And if you're not having fun, then you have to figure out what it is that's going to make it fun for you. Um, I think this was a, a great thing. And just to sort of the final consensus is when you did some things well, uh, there are definitely going to be some things that you need to improve on uh, from what we talked about today. Spending a few more hours around the practice green as an example, and I don't mean all at once, but maybe, you know, over a few weeks, um, you know, to help get your short game back on track uh, and, you know, hit a few balls out in the range. You don't have to hit, you know, five buckets of balls, um, but you'll, you'll create a solid and consistent long game as well doing that. Um, so, you know, you're, don't, as we suggested earlier, don't treat your first round. It isn't a make or break uh point for your season uh, but you want to start out with certainly a good note and even if you didn't play your best doing this type of an assessment for your first round of the year gives you something to work from uh, with your pro and I strongly suggest to anybody listening out there you want to connect with a, a teaching professional out there or a coach if you're more advanced and get them to help you uh, put a game plan together, as we talked about last week. And bringing them information like this is very invaluable to them because it gives them an idea of where you're at, where you think you're at, and they're going to be able to tell. They're going to know whether you've given yourself a good rating and maybe if it really should have been you know, okay or maybe it even should have been poor and you've given yourself an okay rating. So, you know, they're going to be able to, to look at that information and get an idea. And instead of spending an, an exorbitant amount of time, Cindy, in an area that maybe you, you excel quite a bit, they're going to say, no, let's focus on the areas that are giving you trouble. You know, you're hitting the fairways, you're hitting, you know, the greens and regulation. So that's not the issue. Your ball striking is good, but your bunker play stinks or your putting's bad or whatever. Those are areas, Cindy, I think that can help. And doing something like this gentleman suggested here, I think is a great way uh, to start out the season. What do you think? 
Absolutely. Great ideas. All right. Well, as we wait for our very special guest, what are you looking forward to most this season, Cindy? As you, uh, I know you've been working through the, the winter months. You've got the dome up there in, in Buffalo, and and you know you're you're going to be coming down to Florida to do some of your boot camps and things like that. Um, what are you looking forward to? What do you look forward to most each season? Hmm, <laughs> that's a good question. Wow. Uh, you know what I I do? I believe I want to help people understand how to, the word, really evaluate their game truthfully and honestly. And I believe that if they do that and they create realistic expectations, that they can really improve. And most of them don't have to hit it farther. They have to hit it straighter. And Mm -hmm. most of them have to try less instead of trying harder. The number one thing I see the most, and I'm guilty of it as well, for beginners, they try to hit the ball. And for people that have played a while, they try to control where the ball goes. But the ball is always winning. So I would challenge people to not allow the ball to win and to understand that they're the ones that are holding the club and they can control what they do with the club. Therefore, they can tell the ball where to go. <laughs> literally. Literally tell the ball where, where to go in some cases. I, I agree very wholeheartedly. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to ditto what you just said. I, I think that's important. You know, I, I always want to try to help people that I work with, not just become better players, but to have more fun and to really understand their game and be honest with themselves. I think that's first and foremost. I think the more honest you are with yourself in your game, the more enjoyment you're going to have. If you're not putting well or if you're not, you know, a certain part of your game is not well, don't pretend that it is and just ignore it and then not working on it or, or just sort of shoving it aside. You know, if you suck at putting, well, then that's an area you need to get out and work on. Or if your bunker play is not up to snuff, get out there and work on that and get together with your pro and say, these are areas I'm really struggling with. I just don't get it. I don't understand. What can we do to make me better? And they'll put a good game plan together. All right, before I bring out Wes uh, and introduce him, uh, we're going to listen to a quick advertisement from Golf Tips Magazine. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, don't forget, go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today. It's well worth it. All right, our very special guest, Cindy, is Wes Whittingham. He is the vice president of sales for Volvic USA. Uh, His career includes 40 years in the golf industry, in the on-course, off-course, retail, OEM, and overseas manufacturing arenas. Uh, He has extensive uh, product uh, knowledge and experience in areas like footwear, apparel, clubs, balls and accessories 
Uh, he's held uh, senior management positions with Ram Golf, uh, Head Sports, Olimar, uh, Florsheim, Bridgestone Golf, and, of course, Volvic. Uh, he resides in Atlanta, Georgia, holds a bachelor degree and a master's degree in organizational management. So, Cindy, let's welcome uh, the vice president of sales from Volvic USA, uh, Wes Whittingham. Good morning. Well, good morning, everybody. How is uh, Cindy and Ted doing on this beautiful Tuesday in February. We're doing great. Where are you? Atlanta, Georgia. Is it snowing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I took the dog out for a walk this morning, it was we had flurries. And, Ooh. you know, I, I come from Chicago, so we moved down here five years ago. And I didn't come down here five years ago to walk the dog in snow flurries. We had plenty of that in Chicago. (laughs) Well, that's where I am. I'm in Buffalo, and we've got a little bit of it here, too. Oh, I've got a great Buffalo story. Tell me. So so I was was a... uh, at the time, I was with Am Golf, and I was uh, going up to Buffalo for my very first time to uh, visit some accounts up there. And uh, so my rep picked me up at the airport, and we're on our way to make some sales calls. And we pull up to a stop sign, except the stop sign was about 12 feet off the ground. And I noticed that all the fire hydrants had these uh, fluorescent orange <laughs> holes attached to them that stood way up off the ground. And I'm like, I'm like, Mark, what, why, why do they make stoplight stop signs 12 feet high? And he just casually looks over at me and he says, man, if you don't think we get at least six feet of snow each year and those things are all the way up to the brim, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I just like, oh my God, that's right. Look at this. I said, how do you how do you live here? And he's like, well, that's why we're going to an indoor dome hitting area, and you'll get a quick look at what's really going on in the golf community of Buffalo, New York. So that was my I was very probably first in there that day, giving a lesson. Isn't that funny? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I just, company was I, it again? I you kind of blocked off. Yeah, I was with Ram Golf at the time, and uh, yep. Oh my gosh, it uh, and and you know, I said, who in the world is going to be? Because it was it was early in the spring, but I mean, you know, for those for those weather hardy people up in the north, you know, it would be a day where you could you'd think about going out and playing, and that dome was packed, absolutely packed mm-hmm. with people beaten balls into a inflatable roof about a hundred yards away. And, uh, it was, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. That's my home. And yeah. And I've given 259 lessons this month so far and it's halfway through. So, wow. Anyway, wow. well, that's good. Tell us about Volvic. Absolutely. Well, let's, Hey, how about, how about us taking a, a step back into 2020 for a second and about those 450,000 women that uh, came out of the woodwork to start playing golf last year? 
How about that? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. What a great statistic. You know, and I know you guys have probably been metric to death, but 500 million rounds, 60 million round increase uh, over 2019, a 14% year-over-year increase, and almost $3 billion in equipment sales, which is probably one of the highest numbers in the past 20 years. And that's in the midst of a pandemic. So pretty exciting stuff. Who would have ever thought, you know, when they used to have those golf 2020 summits years ago with all the captains of the golf industry in Ponte Vedra, Florida, gathering to talk about how to grow the participation and grow the game and all the great initiatives that everyone was coming out with. Who would have ever thought a good old fashioned pandemic would be the cure all for the the ailing golf industry, huh? Right. Amazing. Tell everybody and then they'll learn to play. And tell them to go outside and play, play with some adult toys, get on out there. Uh Uh-huh. Well, oh I'll tell you God. what, wow. you know, Volvic, let me tell you, Volvic is uh, a fantastic little company. We're a little challenger brand out there in the midst of giants like Titleist and Callaway and TaylorMade, et cetera. Uh, but what's great about the little challenger brand is that, you know, we kind of go and do things that all the other companies aren't going to do. When they, when they play it safe, we take a gamble. Uh, when they think that uh, a certain a certain way to go is uh, the right way, uh, we take uh, we take some risk, and uh, that's that's what's fun about Volvic. We have 43 different color options. We have nine different models of golf balls. We literally literally have product that fits every type of skill set from a tour player all the way to the beginner, the recreational player. And, uh, you know, we can, we, we just kind of go where, where they ain't, so to speak. Uh, we, we do some fantastic things. And specifically for women, you know, we have a mm-hmm. product called Vivid, which I'm sure, you know, you and Ted are very familiar with. And that's available in eight different color options. And, of the players that use Vivid are women. And Mm -hmm. I know you guys are very familiar with statistics. You know, typically women might make up 12% of the total golf audience. And I guarantee you that uh, 35% is a significant number compared to what women are making up in other uh, types of product categories. And so, uh, you know, they, they like that particular product, I think, for several different reasons. One, we make a really damn good golf ball. Secondly, it's a fantastic performing product. And, uh, and I think the third thing is, is that, you know, just logic tells you that a color product is easier to see both in flight and on the ground than a plain old white golf ball. And there's plenty of companies out there making plain old white golf balls and have been for uh, decades and decades. But, you know, we see the color segment not only expanding, but year over year, uh, 
we've seen an incredible increase, uh, not only in matte finish color golf balls, but color golf balls just in general. Uh, you know, over the last five years, color golf ball sales have more than doubled. So it makes up uh, over 12% of total golf balls sold to the consumers. So it's, uh, it's wow. a lot of fun. Hmm. You know, Wes, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know you have a, a Volvic has a very strong relationship with the LPGA Tour. Tell us a little bit about That's that right. because, you know, again, you know, traditionally, you know, we've all played for for decades. You know, that little white ball, and Volvic really, in my opinion, has been a leader when it comes to. Um, doing a lot of things, as you said, differently um, instead of the status quo. And I think that's what sort of, again, helped you to stand out from a lot of your competitors. So how did this sort of happen with the LPJ Tour? Was it just something that, that sort of a grassroots movement, if you will, where a few players started playing your ball and said, okay, you know what, we really like this, and then it just sort of snowballed? Or what was, uh, what was sort of the, uh, the initial... Um, steps, I guess. Sure. Great question. So, you know, Volvic is a Korean based company. We have two manufacturing plants uh, in Korea. Uh, We've been manufacturing golf balls for over 40 years with uh, 60 worldwide patents on golf balls. And, uh, you know, women's golf in Korea is not only immensely popular, but in particular, the LPGA is held in very high esteem. Uh, the players there that are uh, LPGA players are superstars. They're the equivalent mm-hmm. of their country's Tiger Woods. And, uh, you know, Siri Pak, just as an example, is really the Tiger Woods uh, for women in Korea. And she really, I think, was the... Uh, leader when it came to not only uh, uh, kind of creating the whole popularity among women in general in Korea about golf, but also uh, driving. It was really a critical driving force in making sure that uh, the growth of women playing professional golf on the LPGA Tour uh, I think she She's certainly a, a, you know, kind of the icon of creating that. So at any rate, uh, Volvic became, Volvic Korea became uh, joined at the hip, if you will, with a lot of these young women that started uh, playing professionally. Uh, Again, uh, the LPGA in Korea is, uh, is hugely popular. And uh, so it was just a natural for them to uh, create endorsements uh, with all these women uh, playing. And uh, as they took their game to the U.S., uh, you know, the interest from Volvo Korea in the U.S. market uh, certainly was there already. Uh, but that gave us an opportunity to uh, uh, sponsor events. As a matter of fact, were the presenting sponsor for the Drive-On Championship in Ocala, Florida, uh, March 4th through the 7th. And we're absolutely Mm. super excited about our involvement there. Of course, we're going to have five of our uh, staff players in the field as well. 
and uh, you know certainly looking forward to it. But that's that's really the foundation of why uh, Volvic is so uh, uh, involved in the LPGA in particular and women's golf, and and, uh, and we love it. You know, it kind of gives us a, a an arena that uh, I think a lot of companies overlook, and uh, mm-hmm. you know we. We have a clear playing field, so to speak, in that. And, you know, from a from a product standpoint, you know, women are uh, a huge part of the growth of the game, uh, always have been, always will be. Uh, I think they're the ones who certainly embrace uh, the whole color concept. You know, and, and in all candor, I started looking what was in Annika Sorenstam's bag in terms of equipment and other LPGA players probably 25, 30 years ago and figured out, you know, what they're playing in their bag is probably what I should be using uh, and Mm -hmm. not what is in the bag of Dustin Johnson or some of these other guys. Right. I have have no business playing what they're playing, but, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, and and look at it this way as well. You know, women were some of the leaders when it came to incorporating hybrids in the bag and the true hybrid mm-hmm. uh, set of uh, clubs with irons, you know, morphing into hybrids in the lower irons. Lower irons went out, hybrids came in, high lofted fairway woods. And now you see that as a standard uh, set of clubs uh, for men and women throughout the industry. Yeah, that's so true. Let me just ask a quick follow-up, and then, Cindy, I'll, I'll bounce it back to you. Just sort of on this theme for a second, you know, as we know that the U.S. market is has been the dominant market in golf for, for many, many decades, and as golf started to grow into other um, markets like Korea and, and, and China and so on, would it be safe to say that as those areas started to grapple the game of golf and understand the game of golf, that actually it's kind of come full circle, uh, as, as you would suggest, that a lot of the technology and a lot of the um, changes has sort of come back to the U.S. from overseas. Would no that question kind of, about it. Do you think – yeah, that's what I'm kind of seeing too, because you, you, if you look at some of the – you know, Siri Pack is, is one and, and others that have uh, – you know, Annika and, and international players – it seems that even though they they you know developed their game here and became stars on the U.S. market, they brought a lot of interest from what they've created overseas back to the U.S. Because you're seeing more and more of a domino effect with a lot of the U.S. players as well, adopting some of that uh, not only technology but some of that you know style changes as well out in the LPGA Tour that you're seeing from international players. Is that something that you've noticed as well? Absolutely. I think you're 100% correct. And, you know, and let's face it, I think uh, from an international standpoint, uh, the LPGA is far is a far more international type of field uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, players uh, than the PGA Tour. You know, the PGA Tour is, is morphing into a more international type of field. Uh, but uh, the LPGA has been there for probably a decade at least or longer. Uh, and you know, you can say the same thing about equipment. A good friend of mine, John Hoflick, who uh, uh, was really the father of the 845 iron, uh, he was the lead design on so many great products with both Titleist and TaylorMade 
and is, uh, like I said, a close friend. You know, he he noted to me decades ago, he said that uh, uh, most of the true technological innovations that we see in uh, golf were coming over from Japan, and Japan was always five to six years ahead of the United Mm -hmm. States when it came to shaft technology and things of that nature. So, you know, and where did the game of golf start and originate? It was in Scotland. And so, uh, you know, where's the U.S. been? We've been the lucky recipient of all this international Mm -hmm. uh, change and development. But uh, there's no question that uh, the United States, while it is the largest market by far, uh, probably 65% of uh, the total revenue that's produced worldwide is is driven in the United States, uh, and uh, you know, of course, we're we're lucky that we've had that uh, investment, if you will, in research in in the resources that are there, not only in driving ranges and golf courses, et cetera, but also you know some of the later innovations that again came from the UK, like Top Golf, uh, where we're now into golf retainment, if you will. Uh, and the amazing growth that uh, we're seeing there has created an, an entirely new category of golfer, right? You know, we have mm-hmm. uh, NGF is now keeping track of off-course players. You know, what the heck is an off-course player? <laughs> it, it's a player right. that spends the majority of their time at facilities like a Top Golf, or it could be a uh, some type of golf simulator, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Golf Zone, which is a Korean-based uh, golf simulator uh, manufacturer, is going to have a uh, national golf simulator championship uh, coming up later this year. So, uh, you know, those those players out there now uh, are at the 12 million mark. So, if there's 25 million mm-hmm. players on course. There's another 12 million in the off-course arena, and I really think that all of us kind of can tip our hat, uh, probably to the top golfs of the world, and the simulators mm-hmm. and other driving ranges across the country uh, that encouraged a lot of these new players to come out during the pandemic last year. I mean, I right, I don't think there's any question that this growth in the game of another 60 million rounds. And that's, let's not forget, you know, we lost the months of March and April uh, and a good portion of May across the country in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that kind of rebound, that resilience to the game uh, wouldn't have been possible for an awful lot of new players. And I can personally attest to literally seeing people pull up at a parking lot at a golf course here in the Atlanta market pulling a brand new set right out of the box that they had just purchased at perhaps a PGA tour superstore or some facility like that and uh, putting it on the back of the cart and pulling off the uh, cellophane off the heads of their clubs for the very first time and, and uh, mm-hmm. putting a dozen Volvic golf balls uh, out there color, of course, and uh, teeing it up for the first <laughs> time on a golf course and having a great time. So, you know, we've just got yep. to keep those players out there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Cindy, go ahead. Tell us about Disney or collaboration. Yeah, 
and that's a great way to say it. Uh, we're so excited uh, to have that collaboration with Disney and their Marvel uh, characters. Uh, we have, I guess I could call them uh, a team or a stable, uh, but certainly uh, they're undefeated uh, of Marvel characters. And uh, we've had this agreement now for the past two years. This is a huge growth segment for us. We're literally in the midst of expanding our portfolio of Marvel characters that we're uh, logoing on vivid golf balls and placing them in uh, different types of gift set elements uh, with magnetic hat clips and ball markers and things of that nature. But uh, not only are we doing that, we're going to start entering the uh, different product categories like gloves, headwear, bags, uh, capitalizing on this uh, Marvel collaboration. And, you know, I believe there's going to be a release of at least four, perhaps six uh, new feature films uh, this year with Marvel. And, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we have absolutely uh, been thrilled uh, with the reception that we've received from the golf community uh, with our Marvel products. And, uh, you know, they can be found in every trade channel, whether it's e-com, on course, off course, and uh, everywhere we go with this type of product. It really captures the imagination, uh, regardless of age, uh, demographic. Uh, it's, you know, like I said, this team of Marvel characters is undefeated, and uh, people just really uh, love the products. We've we've had a great time with it. Looking forward to more. Where fun, can our uh, Where can our listeners get uh, the products? Certainly. So uh, they'll find our Marvel product at uh, their local Golf Galaxy, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, PGA Tour Superstore. Hmm. Uh, the Worldwide Golf Shops, uh, which is the number one uh, off-course retailer in the country. They have 85 stores across the country under six different uh, retail banners, including Edwin Watts, Roger Dunn's Golf Mart. You went to golf, just to name a few, um, along with uh, some of our e-com partners like golfballs.com. Certainly, you'll, all they have to do is visit uh, Amazon, and they'll be – uh, able to see our products uh, on that on that site as well, along with uh, uh, TGW uh, Global Golf, etc. So it's it's uh, fantastic, and uh, uh, we've you know we have so much fun with it because it's constantly evolving. We're actually getting ready to launch a brand new character in April uh, called the Punisher, and uh, you know. <laughs> What a That's the one I need. Character for golf. Yeah, what a perfect character for golf. Ay, ay, ay. Hey, so can people get these at Disney as well? Uh, they can't, and the reason is is that at uh, Disney properties, uh, they have exclusive rights of selling any Disney character, whether it's Mickey and Minnie or any of the Marvel characters uh, in that particular venue. So they can't find the right. products there. But, uh, I think when they get outside of, 
the grounds or some type of 25 mile radius or whatever they're they're able to sell the products. Got it. Hmm. But yeah, it's well, they're it's, it's fun, and you know, I think that's a classic example, by the way, of what sets us apart from a lot of the competition that we have in the golf ball category, which is the best product category in golf, in my opinion. Uh, because it's the only piece of equipment everybody has to have uh, to play. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's, you know, it's a situation where we can do things and and allow our imagination uh, of how we want to present the product and merchandise the product and and pique the consumer's interest. Uh, Because it's, you know, this is a game that's supposed to be fun, right? And here's another Mm -hmm. example of us making the game fun to play. You got that right. I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fantastic, Wes. Because you know, in our earlier segment, you know, Cindy and I sort of ended it on with the discussion about golf being fun. And you know, there's a lot of folks out there, young and old, who you know maybe played for a little while, and for some reason their game has, you know, no pun intended, gone south, and they're just not having fun. Uh, so I really like the fact that Volvic has taken an approach much different than many of the other manufacturers out there and added some fun to their product line to make it interesting because it's, it's not only, you know, going to address the adults, but also the kids that, that are, you know, the junior golfers and that can also enjoy that as well and recognize some of the characters. And, and I got to find out where I can get my hands on the Punisher. Cause I think that's going to be what I'm going to be playing with from, from this yeah, point on. Be... But, um, <laughs> That'll yeah, be I might. Fun. I might need well, to get. Well, I'll tell it. you what. You know, yeah. <laughs> juniors, juniors is another segment like women joining the game, where yeah. we had a half a million yeah. junior players uh, join the game mm-hmm. last year. So it I is I'll a tell huge you, and most of them, yeah, you can't believe the amount of kids that, in fact, they're coming to boot camp with me because they couldn't play hockey or they couldn't play soccer or baseball. And now right. they've taken a few lessons, and they're like, whoa, I'm kind of good at this. And I got one who says, I like this better than hockey because I don't have to deal with teammates, right? Now, now wait a minute, and, Cindy, Cindy, Cindy. Now, wait a minute. You're up in <laughs> Buffalo. You're supposed to say it's hockey. Hockey. <laughs> you got to get that Canadian <laughs> hockey. But yeah. Yeah. you're right. That's, That's right. Canada. right. And, and, I, and, I, and yeah. I'll tell you what. I think, the, I think the amazing part, especially for – you know, the junior involvement is that uh, it is it is a way for them to participate uh, by themselves. You know, it's the great thing about golf, and one of the things that always attracted me to it was, you know, I, like a lot of kids uh, in my era, it was all about team sports, you know, football, uh, basketball, baseball, et cetera. And uh, golf was so unique because it's an individual sport, and you can – Invest as much time and energy as you like, and and if you want to become better, if you want to take it really serious, uh, you can. If you just want to go out there and have fun, you can do that too. Uh, but I think that's the the great thing about uh, the sport, and the one thing that is going to always sustain golf in a very good way is the the fact that it does allow individuals to be themselves, yep. and it that's a beautiful thing about our game. Couldn't agree more. 
Well, Wes, Wes we got to uh, we got to cut the, cut you off here. Um, we're getting to the end of our show, but you're going to be joining me this no. Thursday night to con- yes continue the conversation for a little bit longer uh, on Golf right. Talk Live. So Wes will be joining. Yeah. Um, so Wes, thank you very much for joining us uh, this morning, Vice President of Sales for Volvic USA. Um, quickly, uh, Wes, what is the website if they want to go and learn more about Volvic? Where can they go? Absolutely. Uh, they need to visit Volvic, V-O-L-V-I-K dot com. And we'd love, to, we'd love to have them join our email and subscribe. And uh, we've got all kinds of great things that we send out to our, uh, our customers. And thank, thank you thank both you. for having me on. This we appreciate and enjoyed the conversation. And, and I look forward to having you, as I said, Thursday night on Golf Talk Live for a little bit more in-depth conversation, believe it or not. Uh, I think we'll have no problem in carrying this conversation forward. Wes, thank you very much for joining Cindy and I this morning on the Women of Golf. It's been a pleasure. Keep doing the great work that you're doing, and thank you for sharing uh, more about Volvic here on Women of Golf. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. All right, Cindy, what a great way to end end the the segment. I really enjoyed that. I learned a lot about Volvic. Uh, Certainly knew a little bit about them, but not to the the extent. And they really – it sounds like they're – trying to find ways of making golf fun, which we're all about, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that was great. Really good. All right, we got to go, but we'll be back next week with another great guest. We hope that you'll join us. On behalf of Cindy Miller, I'm Ted Rodrigo. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. God bless everybody, and thank you, Cindy, as always. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash women of golf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network. <laughs>